0: We who live in the Northwest have a keen likeness of the sun. I guess if you, you know, have sparse, sparse amounts of it, you appreciate it more. Um, I don't know what the percentage is. I didn't look it up. But, but there's about 10 million people who every year battle this thing called SAD. You know, the, the uh, kind of the, the effect of a lack of sun disorder. And um, out of the 10 million, I've got to believe that 8 million of them are from Oregon. And we only have 4 million people. (laughs) We know what it's like to live without light. In a sense that we don't see it. I was reading an article about a guy who lives and works in New York. And in those, you know, cavernous canyons of skyscrapers, he works in a building where he identified that his building gets no sun every day except for five minutes. And he knows exactly where to go, and he just kind of stands there, and he said, it changes my whole day if I can just see the sun. I have two barn cats, and they're worth their weight in gold. They're smart cats. They do. Every day, I go out to the barn, and they place one or two sometimes three yesterday it was just one mouse right where I'm gonna walk through that they caught the night before they're smart they know uh if we put these out he'll let us live we don't do this we're gone and it's true <laughs> and uh They are so invaluable. But Carrie and I were noticing the other day when it was just, you know, sub-15 degrees or I don't know what it was. It was cold. And uh, these cats were brilliant. Not only do they know how to catch mice and know where to place it, but they know how to find sun. And they were kind of just rotating their way around the barn to different places. And every time we saw them, if the sun was out at all, they were just like basking in it. They didn't care that it was 15 degrees. What they cared about is we need To encounter the sun. Why? Because the sun is life. Even cats know that. The sun is life. And that's to me the brilliancy of this text and and really the scriptures is that God takes this world that you and I live in and we know certain things about the sun. We know that if you have great soil and a marvelous seed and you plant it and you eliminate the sun, it's going to die. It's never going to sprout life. You can't live without the sun. God's into that. He knows that. He created this world. And and isn't it to me beautiful that God creates a world that when you walk out into it, you see Him? I'm not saying we intermingle the two and we're worshiping, if you will, the sun. I'm saying that when you go out and you see the stars, Romans 1 says that the order of the world and the order of the planets and everything tell us that God is powerful and God is divine. And when you look at the sun, and it rises and it sets, God is telling you something about Jesus. Because when Jesus was encountering these Pharisees, and they were having this little debate, he starts off with, let me tell you who I am. I'm the light of the world. I'm like the sun. And apart from me, you don't live. And I believe he meant that in the sense that those who believed in him knew that and those who didn't believe in him lived that one day they will the scripture tells us in philippians chapter 2 that one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that jesus christ is lord one day they will recognize this but in this debate they were having jesus starts off and he says i'm the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness and notice this next line it's a powerful statement but will have the light of life. What did he mean when he made that statement? Just like the sun that every day gives us life, Christ is telling them and he's telling you that Christ is the light giving light that comes from God. He's telling you that like the sun that rises and sets and when it rises... The plants drink in the energy of the sun. This is the way God created it. And they receive that sun. And the, through the photosynthetic process. They kind of synthesize that energy. And it turns into certain sugars. And then it's eaten. And then the process of this life. You and I live because that sun rises. You and I live because there's light. We we. We can take all the vitamin D in the world and I probably take 10,000, I don't know how many milligrams of that stuff I take. But the reality is, I could take all the vitamin D in the world, but if I don't have the sun, I don't live. And so when Christ comes and tells them, I am the light of the world, he is telling them the same thing. Guys, apart from me, you don't live. I'm the light of the world. This message is spoken all the way through the New Testament. First John, it says this message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. God is, and you could put almost like a backslash, life. God is life. And apart from him, we don't live, we don't exist. And one of the beauties in living in this world is that you can look all around the world and all you're going to see is just reminders and pictures of God. But one of the dangers of living in this world? So you can become inoculated to God in it. And you can begin to think that we live apart from God and on our own and we can make it. John eight twelve, where we're at, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. What a statement, what a powerful statement. It's not to say you won't at times have confusion. It's not to say that you won't understand certain things. Uh, The Bible tells us that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. In Ecclesiastes it says that yet also we cannot know what God has been doing from the beginning to the end. There are things about God we will never figure out. There are things from God we will take by faith and we will just have to submit humbly to God and say, Lord, I don't get this one. But we'll never walk in darkness. Not if you're a follower of Christ. You'll never have a day. Where you don't know where you end. You'll never have a day. Where you don't know when you die. Where you're going to go. You'll never have a day. That you don't understand. That through the blood of Christ. Your life is forgiven. And the hope of heaven. Is a promise given. You'll never live in darkness. But we'll have the light of life. John 9. John 9. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is telling them and he's telling you, like the sun that rises every day and sets, we intuitively know that. No scientist fights this one. There's no individual that says, you know what? Take the sun out. We're okay. No. But that light that Jesus sent, that God actually sent here, it says the Father sent was not sent into a bright and a beautiful world. No, light always comes to darkness. In the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he said, let me take that which is void and without shape and without order. And he created order. And then he spoke light. And he spoke light into what? Darkness. When Jesus came, he did the same thing. He did not come to a good world. He didn't come to a peaceful world. He came to a world where Herod had made the declaration because he was afraid of losing his power that all young boys were going to be murdered. And he had the power to do that. He lived in a world where there was division. He lived in a world where there was ethnic hatred. He lived in a world where there was political, uh, brutal leadership. And yet, Jesus brings light into the midst of that darkness. I think there's something inside of us that wants to make today worse than any day. We say things like, man, it's, it's, it's harder to raise kids now than ever. It's more difficult. The world is more, and we kind of build ourselves up. Sometimes it's helpful to go back and look at the day that Jesus came into this world. It was a mess, it was a dark, dark mess. And Christ was sent into that because that's what God always does. He sends his light. And when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, and as the Father has sent me, so I'm going to send you, Jesus has not sent you into the wolf den to get eaten alive. He sent you to dispel darkness. And look what the text says. It's so powerful and beautiful. He, he says that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And here's the line. But will have the light of life. Friends, the world that you and I live in, it is Chaotic. But that's not something to be dismayed at. That's not something to grouse at. That's not something to whine about and dream of the yesterdays of leave it to beaver. And if you don't know who that is, Google it. <laughs> it, it, it is a day where you and I are sent just like Christ. And we are sent with our own power. We're not sent with our own light. We don't have that kind of ability. We're sent to live into this world like Christ was, and we have the light of life in us. And it should not surprise us. It should not dismay us. It should delight us. Because when you send light into darkness, it penetrates it, it changes it. Life's rough, but it's no different than the day that Jesus was born. Really not. Carrie and I are kind of late adopters sometimes, and we just started oh about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. This series called The Chosen. I know it's been out for years, and it's got all kinds of seasons. So if you've been watching it, please don't come up and ruin the rest of the story. Um, <laughs> we're only two two story, you know. We're only two episodes in, so we're pretty early adopters on this one. But I was actually really struck by it you've never seen it, let me explain a little bit. It's the story in the life of Christ, and it's really built upon the scriptures. I know they probably take all kinds of, you know, kind of authorial uh, license, and yeah, I, actually, I'm okay with that. If you don't like it, please forgive me. I, I really enjoyed what they did with Nicodemus. This The, the opening setting, you know, has Nicodemus, this Pharisee. And Nicodemus is kind of trapped by these Roman leaders, these guards, and he's kind of forced to come and deal with this woman um, who's like an animal. She's possessed. And Nicodemus reluctantly, kind of twisted, he comes to deal with this as a religious man, and he comes into her home, and she looks like a, a wolverine to me. And she looks like, man, if you put your hand out, you'd lose it. And understandably, darkness has no power over darkness, right? You add darkness plus darkness equals what? Darkness. Darkness. Nice. Nicodemus comes into this setting and quickly understands, I'm outclassed. And he finds some religious reason to bolt out of there and he goes home. Later, Jesus encounters Mary Magdalene. She doesn't know who he is. And Christ comes up to her, and he puts his hands on her face. Now, they don't do anything with this, but I'm telling you, it's almost like I could watch the power of the enemy driven out of her. And I've seen it. I've seen it with a friend by the name of Marianne. And I've watched, and you've probably seen too, when darkness comes into an encounter with light, who wins? Light. Darkness has never overcome light. Darkness has never defeated light. Darkness has never taken over light. And as Jesus touched this woman... Peace came into her face. Peace came into her heart. And this woman who was like a wolverine, who was like vicious and out of control, snapping and growling at people, all of a sudden came into her right mind. And I realized that's exactly what Jesus does today. He sends you into this crazy Wolverine-esque mad world. Not to be overwhelmed, not to be defeated. Light cannot be defeated by darkness. It can't be. It won't be. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. You'll never be overwhelmed by it. Darkness will never defeat you. Darkness will never define you. Darkness will not govern you. It's impossible. Because light always defeats darkness. And that light, he says, you will have the light of life. And when that happens, like with Christ, light will never be ignored. It can't be. Light can never be defeated by darkness. And because of that, when Jesus comes into this world and he comes into a really dark season and he sends you into a really dark place, he's doing it with the understanding that we will be victorious. Light will always defeat darkness because light has intrinsic and eternal power that cannot be overwhelmed. I was reading an article uh, about some British um, astrophysicists and they were doing some uh, some work on stars and I'm not a star expert by any stretch I'm just really fascinated by them I'm kind of taken by them the, the beauty of them, the, the brilliance of it and quite candidly the number of them so I was reading about this star and it was just these, these British uh, scientists were kind of struck by the star they gave it a name, kind of arrogant I think of them to name something that God had already named but that's alright, they didn't know R136A1 What's it like? Well, it's 315 times the mass of the sun that rises and sets every day that you see. 315 times its mass. This one will get you. It's 9 million times brighter. It's 30 Five times the diameter of our sun. Our, our this, this star is 30 million miles in diameter. Why do I tell you that other than to tell you I read an article about a really, really bright star? You and I, if we walked outside, we wouldn't see it. Why? Because Psalm 147 says God is taken the effort to place every star i take that literally and not only has he placed and set them in place to a point that this universe this this world that god has created must be really big because whatever is nine million more uh, brighter than our current sun and that you and i can't out there with our naked eye just be blinded by this thing it's just a long way away And I begin to extrapolate the size of this world. And I begin to think about all of the power and the demonstration of God. And and then I realize when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am that which gives the entire world its beginning. The scripture says it was for him and it was by him that all things were created. And then I ask myself this question. Is there anything that I face right now that is stronger and bigger than the God who created this universe? Is there any challenge I face? Is there anything, any wound that I've ever experienced that is going to be more defining in my life than the glorious power of the God who created this world, who sent his son into this world to be light, to illuminate, to reveal, and to save? Is there anything in this world that's more powerful than the God who created everything that we see? And I hope you come to the same conclusion that I do. If I will just go out and look at the stars if I will just examine the brilliance of this one star, this R136A1, if maybe if I just go to the mountains and take a look at the creation that God has given, if I'll just go and stand at the ocean and then I ask myself the question, if Jesus is the light of the world, he takes this position and says, the entire world is sustained by me, finds the life in me, is ordered by me, And Colossians is carried along by me, then it seems absurd to me that I would allow anything that I face in this world to cause me to worry, to cause me to think that it's more powerful than my God, including maybe my inability to forgive. Is God more powerful than my will? Oh, yes. Is God more glorious than my sinfulness? Oh. Is God more gracious than your sin? Yes. And if that's the case, then the light giving light of God cannot be ignored. You can't afford to shelve God. He demands a response. And there are three of them. When Jesus entered into this world, strangely, I don't know why God did this, candidly, why he came as an infant, a little baby. I have all kinds of images. Thor, wouldn't mind Jesus coming like that. He'd make Thor look like a weasel. I can think of some others, you know, but he came as an infant, And he entered into this world and maybe he entered that way so that it really forces the nature of the response. The first response would be, I I would utilize the shepherds. When the shepherds saw the light, they were drawn to it and they came. And did they ever understand everything about Jesus as an infant? No. Did they understand everything about uh, the Messiah coming that couldn't speak language? No, they, they didn't get all of that. What they did know is what Simeon, the prophet, knew is that this is the Messiah sent by God to save us. And they worshiped. And there are some of us here and I put myself in that camp that there are scores of things I don't understand about God and there are things that he does that I can't explain and there's ways that God operates and there's, there's children that God gives to people that I think don't deserve them. And there are other people who can't have children and I don't understand because they seem like just the right people that could raise 10 kids. And there are things like that I don't get. I don't understand why God takes a 52-year-old man from his wife and his son and, and causes, turns her into a single mom to raise that son. I don't get those things. But like the shepherds, they saw a light and they were drawn. And they came and they entered into that story and they bowed and they worshiped. Like Simeon, who held the baby, said, this is the Messiah. Maybe another response is like the Magi. These guys came along. They'd come from a long way. The scripture says Persia, probably Iraq area. They made their way and they investigated. They saw something and and felt like it's divine. It it has a divine message. And they came and they explored and they sought it out. And you might be one of those individuals where God is drawing you. And you're here today and you're testing the tires of Jesus Christ. And you're looking at the church trying to figure out what this whole thing about the church is. and, and, And why do they believe in Christ? You may be one of those individuals. And I challenge you. I applaud you for your investigation but I challenge you like the magi you have to come to a conclusion you have to wrestle with the facts and put it all together and maybe you'll come to the same conclusion that I did there's something unique about Jesus Christ all other religious leaders taught, died, stayed there history internal to the scriptures and external to the scriptures Tell the story of a person by the name of Jesus Christ who was born. Who lived, who died, and three days later rose from the dead. And he's the one who said, I'm the light of the world. And by me, all things live. And like the Magi, you're in that exploration. But I challenge you. It's not sufficient for you to just explore. You have to come to a conclusion. Or you might be in the place of Herod. Herod did not worship. He did not investigate. He tried to kill God. And there's plenty of people that are still trying to do that today. I was reading in a journal interview. It was public knowledge. It's not some private journal of a friend of Carrie's recently, she grew up with Carrie and professed faith, invited people to church, led people to Christ. But as can happen sometimes, maybe to you. God doesn't get controlled by us, and sometimes he does things that wound our hearts. And some people over time, the scripture says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, and some people's heart gets so sick that they destroy God. She was coming out in her journal disclosing that she'd become an atheist. She kind of gave a little snarky response to those of us who are believers. You can pray for me if you want. It won't do any good for me, but it might help you. And I realized she's living in a delusion. Why? Because the scripture says in John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. And it can't. You can pull your, the, the covers over your head and blind yourself to the light, but it doesn't eliminate the light. It's still there. You can deny God. You can call yourself an atheist. You can take your wounds. You can take your disappointment and you can eradicate the reality of God in your life. But what you can't do is you can't destroy him. Why? Because light can never be overtaken by darkness. But like Herod, For a moment, they they can fool themselves. And they can think, ah, I'm going to kill God. I'm going to shelve him. I'm not going to believe in him. I have the power to not believe in God. That's what she was saying. Jesus, I'm the light of the world. You can't turn him out. And darkness has not overcome it. I'm the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's like C.S. Lewis states, he goes, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because I see everything else by it. What do you and I see? We see where evil came from. We see how sin entered into the world we see why people do evil things. We see the problem of sin, but we also see the power of grace and redemption. We see the prophetic promises of Jesus. We we see the reality of what Christ's life meant when he died on a cross and he rose from the grave. That's just not a historical narrative. That's a personal deliverance we see that but some of you Christ is speaking to you today and you don't know that you you haven't made that decision and so you you have a decision to make because light always demands a response when light penetrates darkness when truth comes into your life it demands a response you can worship you can investigate further or you can attempt to assassinate God. Today, I want to invite you. Worship. You worship because like C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity. I believe in Christ as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's saying, my friends, by him, we all live. And by him, we see and know all things. And we will never walk in darkness.